Stay standing for just a moment longer if you have your Bibles or your apps or however it is that you access the Word of God. Second Peter chapter 3 and also Luke 16. And I'll get to Luke 16 in just a moment. I want to establish this verse here. Verse 9 of Second Peter 3 says this. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness. Do you have any, any people in your life that you tell them to do something and they get around to it eventually? <laughs> a couple children, a couple employees, uh, a husband. Hello, somebody. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But that's not our God. He's not slow when it concerns his promises. As some understand slowness. And how do I know that? Because the verse right before this tells us that a day to God is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is just like a day. So he's not slow at all. He's right on time. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if he promised something, he will fulfill that promise. But check out this next part. If you've ever wondered, what is my purpose in life? What, what, what's my calling? Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Ooh. Anyone? Does, does, does anyone include that neighbor that I can't stand? Does, does, does anyone include the dictators of the world? Does, does anyone include the atheists and agnostics and people who hate God and want nothing to do with God? Does anyone include, if you will, any living human being? Is it God's desire and God's hope that not anyone should perish? I know you want to send them to hell, but God's desire is not that any should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. If you ever wonder what my calling is, it's real simple. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world. Make sure everyone that we meet, everyone we come in contact with, hears about this salvation message, this hope of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can you help me right now? At the end of this service, I'm going to pray for your loved ones that don't know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. But can you help me right now with just our hands raised to God? Father, all over this room, I pray today that everyone is present and anyone watching online, that today would be a day of salvation. Today would be a day of correction. Today would be a, a, a day where our minds begin to shift from just living for our desires and living for our paychecks instead of just living for the next meal and the next vacation. I pray today you get a deeper revelation of why you are here in this house why, you are, why am I watching this service? Because God wants you to see the purpose and plan for your life is not limited to just what he can do for you. The purpose and plan also is expanded to what you are going to do for him and the kingdom that is going to expand through your life and your words and your witness and your revelation and your anointing and your calling. So I pray for you today, my brother and my sister, that you stop being blinded by the temporal things of your life and that God will show show you the bigger picture of the people around you who are on the way to hell. God is going to use you to point them to the path of salvation. Can I get an amen from some believers in this place today? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I want to thank 
Pastor Beto and, and Dr. Brown and Pastor Olga. Can we just show some appreciation and love today for, amen, for the, the, the men and the woman that preached the word of God to us today. That was, that was a nice little golf clap. I said, can we show some appreciation for the word that God has used to speak through them into our life? There we go. There we go. I know it's Sunday, but, but this isn't a golf tournament, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Hello. This is an NBA Finals game. Hello. Game seven. Let's go. Let's act like we're alive and well. Woo. Amen. I want to thank them because um, I guess some of you thought I was on sabbatical. So let me give you a quick thing about sabbatical. Okay. Number one, I've never been on a sabbatical. Number two, you will know when I'm sabbatical because you won't see me at all. Hello, somebody. Okay. I have, I have been uh, doing the best I can to pull out uh, an old hat I used to wear back in the day called Rev Dev's job as, uh, as music minister, praise and worship leader. And so I've done the best I can, but can we, again, can we show appreciation for our worship team and, and the time and the love and the dedication they put in? Amen. I also want to, uh, while I'm here, I want to take a moment. And Tiana, wave your hand back there. Baby. Tiana, wave, all, everyone look back there, Tiana. Uh, Tiana, don't you hide behind that monitor because I can see the top of your head. Okay. Tiana's birthday was with this. Was it this week, Ms. Donna? Was it this past week? It was this past Monday. I, I just need you to know, ladies and gentlemen, I can't do my job and we can't really sing these songs without the hard work that she does. And with a, a system today that has been crashing on her nonstop, she is still doing everything she can to make sure you get to see the words and see the word. So can we show appreciation to those who serve in ways that are way beyond me. I just, it's complicated. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. What I'd like to do here, uh, we're starting a new series. So what I'd like to, to do with this new series is I'd like to, to begin this with a series of questions. Okay. So uh, to the family in the room, I have some questions for you. And here's, a, here's the first question I would like to ask. So make sure you hear what I'm saying so you don't think I'm swearing. Okay. I want to ask like this. What in hell do you want? What in hell do you need? I'm trying to be very careful I say this because you're just like, dang, pastor. He's been off for three weeks. What's he been doing? <laughs> what in hell, in hell, do you want? I wonder because it's some of the lifestyle choices you make when you're not in church. What is in hell that you want? What is in hell that, that, that you need? Let me, let me illustrate it like this. If God allowed me today the option to let every one of our church members spend either 30 seconds in heaven or 30 seconds in hell, here's my question. Where do you think I would send you? Well, it depends on who it is, Pastor. I'm a tither, so I hope I get to go to heaven. I guess... I'll put it like this. I'll tell you where I would want to send you. To whichever one of the two places that would give you the greatest burden for the lost people in this world. What place would give you the greatest burden to reach the lost? Pastor Olga asked us this last week. She said, do we even care how many people die every day and go straight to hell? Should I, let me, let me, Tiana, let's get ready to bring up that, that, uh, that website. Let me, let me preface this real quick. This is probably not one of those sermons or a sermon series where you're going to be like, wow, hey man, oh God, thank you, I needed that. It's going to be one of those sermon series I hope you're just like, oh, what am I doing with my life? But why am I so focused on the temporal when it's eternal life that matters? 
That's my, my hope for this message series. So, so would somebody stretch for their hands and pray for me right now? Come on, pray. Thank you. Pray for me right now. Lord, help me to deliver this truth to your people. And God, in turn, let these your people hear the truth and respond to it. Not just hear it, but receive it and respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Pastor Olga said, do we even care how many people die every day and go straight to hell? So here's what I want to show you. This is from uh, the worldometers.info. It's saying right now the current world population is over 8 billion people, and it's you know, kind of climbing, over 8 billion people. It's telling me that births so far through July have been 74 million people. Births today, 174,000 people. How many people have died so far this year? It's saying 33 million and, and climbing. Check this out, y'all. What time is it? 1120. 78,812, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 people have died so far today. 78,000. What I did last night, and I'm kind of morbid, so forgive me, is I, I was on this website from 11.58 right into midnight. And as the clock switched over before the death count toll started over again, it said 162,000 people over that died yesterday. 162,000 people. This is just the averages, right? But 162,000 people died yesterday. Now, here's what I'm going to assume. I'm going to assume based on, on global stats that 31% of the world is born-again Christians, okay? But we know the majority of them are just professing Christians. They're not practicing Christians. Come on. That includes the Catholic brothers and sisters. We're Christians, okay? So if 30%, assuming 30% of the world is Christians, that means of those 162,000 deaths yesterday, check this out, means over 115,000 people died and went straight to hell. Because Jesus is the only way to heaven. 115,000 people died and went straight to hell yesterday. Hence the reason for this sermon series. Would you look at your neighbor for me real quick? Just shake them and say, don't go to hell. Depopulate hell. Don't go to hell. Depopulate hell. This entire sermon series, we're calling it Depopulate Hell. All right, there we go. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about hell in this generation, and I promise you I will talk about this in the next few weeks. If you have small children or smaller children, please make sure next Sunday that they are in either the nursery or in Impact Kids. You do not want them in the room next Sunday, okay? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some realities of hell next Sunday. I feel like some of you, I ain't coming either then, Pastor. Good Lord. All right, cool. Just as long as you don't end up there. <laughs> Amen. But these misconceptions that, that have been happening in this generation, because I, I need you to know as a whole... The Bible either, rev, you know, either speaks of hell or alludes to hell over a hundred different times. The King James actually translates the word hell in Hebrew and, and in the Greek it translates it 54 times. Okay? But over a hundred times there's these, these, um, these references or, or uh, allusion to hell. The, the idea that it exists and that it's there. And I wonder how, why is it then that so many theologians and so many pastors and so many denominations not only distance themselves from hell, but they even deny the very existence thereof. Tiana, can you bring up that, that image that I've got there? This was in uh, USA Today, and this is a Pew, uh, Pew Research poll. And here's what it said. Nearly three-quarters of Americans believe in heaven. Okay, right? So 73% of U.S. adults believe in heaven, but only 62% believe in hell. Uh, of the Protestants that are out there, uh, you know, uh, majority of Protestants believe in heaven, 
majority of them believe in hell, but the evangelical, that's probably more what, what, what I am. You'd call me probably a little more charismatic, Pentecostal. Okay. Uh, 91% of us believe in, in hell. I love this about my black brothers and sisters. Most black churches, 90, 89% of, of black congregants believe in hell. Okay. Well, praise God, someone's still preaching the truth out there. Okay. But check this out. Here's where the numbers really start to drop off. Mainline, your conservative denominations, 69%. Even Catholics, only 74%. I think this was run two years ago. Yep, uh, 2021. And then the unaffiliated. So now we're talking about the agnostics and the atheists and, and those who don't have any kind of um, religious view at all. 37% believe in heaven. Only 28% believe in hell. Women are, are more prone to believe in hell than men. I noticed that. But also more prone to believe in heaven. And if you'll notice this, the demographics, even in our age groups, those that have been around a little bit, they know there's a hell. Hello, come on, somebody. And it's not what we've lived through what's still to come. And then finally, I don't know why this matters, but if you're a Democrat, clearly you don't believe in hell as much as Republicans do. Whatever, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's why you vote the way you do. I don't know. Hell is Jesus. Here's the point. Where did we come to this thinking, theologically, that hell is something we don't need to talk about? That, that hell just doesn't exist. That hell is actually here on earth. Maybe you've lived through a, a hellish experience, but trust me, this is not the end. My God, you better thank God for that because there's still hope here. As long as there's breath in my body. And I want you to, to consider this because if, if you don't believe in a literal hell, I want you to know this. And maybe you didn't know. Do you know who, who talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? Jesus. Jesus. And actually, he describes hell more vividly than he even describes what heaven's going to be like. He, he had to talk about hell because he's the one who knew the fate that would await every person who has rejected him. In fact, when you read the Gospels, 13% of his sermons or messages allude to hell. They reference hell. I heard one stat that I think 33 different times Jesus spoke about hell. Now, if 33 different times and he was only here for three years, Rev, that means almost once a month he preached a sermon about hell. I wonder how many of you wouldn't come on that Sunday. Pastors preach about hell this Sunday. I'm not going. He talked about it all the time. In fact, the Bible shows us that he taught about hell more than anyone else in the Bible put together. Everyone else, Jesus talked about hell more. And most of the time when Jesus spoke on hell or preached on hell, guess who he was preaching to? The religious crowds that came to, to mock him and to ridicule him and to try to find fault in him. What does that tell me? That tells me that Jesus knows there's probably going to be a lot of religious people. In hell. What would Jesus, what would he do when he would preach? He would, he'd bring these contrast between the kingdom of heaven and, and the kingdom of darkness. It's the opposite of this perfect fellowship with God. It's this eternal damnation apart from him. So if you allow me to just for a few moments here, I want to summarize some of Jesus' teachings about hell. I'm going to use it in five different words. I'm going to summarize this. When he spoke about hell, he gave us kind of these five different things. Number one, he gave us a reality. Hey, reality. Reality is this. In all of his teachings, hell to Jesus, hell was not figurative. Hell was not a myth. Hell was not symbolic. It was a real 
place. It had real tormenting experiences. It was, it was very real. Tiana, just flip through those verses. If you look at Matthew 23, 33, or Matthew 25, 41, or Mark 9, 43, these verses show us that Jesus believed hell was very real. Second thing I want, I want to show, tell you that Jesus summarized concerning hell. It, it's, a, it's a place of rebellion. It's for the, re the rebellious. It's for those who, who literally decide, I'm not going to obey God. I reject him as king. I reject him as Lord. I refuse his grace. I refuse his love. And, and constantly in Jesus' parables, he would talk about these people who kept rejecting the grace of God, the invitation of God to, to fellowship in heaven. And really, the only alternative to rejecting fellowship is to be apart from God for all eternity. The rebellion. Different verses in Matthew 22 and in and Luke 14, Jesus gives us the reality of the rebellion, which causes us to ultimately embrace hell. Also, he talks about the regret, the, the regret in hell in Matthew 13 and Matthew 22 and, and Luke 13. What, what he's showing us here is that, is that hell is not, hear me, hell is not a party spot. Somewhere, somewhere last de century, people started claiming that hell was going to be a party. People, let's go. Where did you get that theology, bro? Well, where did that come from? Jesus tells us in that place, there's nothing party about it. There's, even, there's not even anything neutral about it. It's a place full of darkness, a place full of torment, a place full of pain, a place full of agony. It's very real. In fact, he said it like this, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Michael, I, I know when I tend to gnash my teeth. It's not only when I'm angry, but when something freaky begins to happen. I feel like, I, you know, like you'll, you'll clench up, right? It's like, like I, 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 what is happening in hell right now? Not only is there constant anger, but there's constant weeping and fear and pain and torment because this is a place of regret. When I'm like, I can't believe I didn't make that light. I was speeding. And I still had to stop. Oh, regret. That's not all hell is like. It's worse. <laughs> Constant regret. Gnashing of teeth. Why did I end up here? Reality, rebellion, regret. It's something else Jesus tells us about hell. It is relentless. Maybe you didn't know this, but hell is not like summer school. For my, my Catholic brothers and sisters in the room that were raised to believe in a place called purgatory, you'll never find that in Scripture. We'll, we'll reference the, a place called paradise in just a moment, but purgatory, not biblical. Jesus never spoke of a place called purgatory. It's summer school, right? I have to go to summer school because I messed up, but if I do well, I'll be able to move on, right? That's not hell. It is relentless. Literally, there is no hope whatsoever. There is no exit whatsoever. There is no rest whatsoever. There is no resp a respite whatsoever. The, literally, the Bible tells us it's the place where the maggot, the worm, never dies, and the fire is never quenched. It is relentless. Four things that Jesus tells us about hell. Reality, rebellion, regret. It's relentless. But then he also teaches us this. It's an awesome word called reconciliation. 
Come on, somebody. Can somebody just take a moment and say, thank you, Lord, that there's a way to escape the reality and the regrets and the relentlessness of hell. That reality to escape hell. Listen to me. It comes before you get there. The reconciliation with God comes before you get there. This is why in John chapter 3, the most quoted verse in all of Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But look at verse 17. It goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. But to save the world through Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. I need somebody to take a moment in this service that feels a little dark and throw up your hands and say, thank you, Lord. I'm not condemned to an eternity in hell. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus preached about this reconciliation. Jesus is the one though who warned us about hell because Jesus is the only one who can save us from hell. Can I just find just maybe five people? I gave five points. Just five people that are grateful enough to say, thank you, Lord, that through faith I am reconciled to the Father. Come on, somebody. If I can find 50 people, 100 people, just say, thank you, Lord. I am reconciled through faith. But God the Father. Now, according to these five things that we just read, there's literally, there's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the reality of hell. This is why he said this in, in Luke 19. If you're ever really wondering, what did, what did Jesus really come for? Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus gives us, who's on his radar, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. Those are the people that are on his radar. And, and I want you to consider this. Think about this. When Jesus came to earth, he came for sinners because he knew better than anybody the realities of heaven and hell. All right? I mean, think about it. Jesus existed in eternity before he took on flesh and came to earth. He was known as the Word. So he existed in, in, in eternity. That means he saw both heaven and hell being prepared. He was a part of the process he, he literally saw hell being prepared for, for the devil and his angels, demons. But he also saw heaven being prepared for that one day after he died and rose again that men and women would begin to call upon the name of the Lord and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He saw heaven being prepared. What, what is my point? I'm trying to tell you that hell was not made for us. That's the point. It was prepared for Satan. It was prepared for the, the angels that rose up with him against God. But it wasn't prepared for me. Let me give it to you like this, in illustrative form. How many of you have ever been to a place that was not meant for you? Come on, show hands. I, I walked into the room and I was the only person of color. I was like, oh, Lord, I guess maybe not, I don't know if it's meant for me. I, 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 you know what I'm talking about. I, I walked into the room really late and I realized, maybe, just maybe. Shouldn't be here right now. How about any men in the room? Your wife takes you shopping. <laughs> or your girlfriend, or, or yeah, you, you, you go shopping. Let me, let me, one of the very first times that Pastor Olga and I ever went 
shopping, she took me to the pink store. Got to be careful how I say it, right? The pink store. I, was, I didn't think anything about it. I was just there carrying bags and just happy-go-lucky, right? Well, she's getting what she needs, and, and she goes to the dressing room, and, and y'all, 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 men in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get to the dressing room, what's always there? That one chair meant for the man that is just there helping his wife. Can I get an amen from the men in the house? Yeah. There I am sitting in the chair, Dill, when all of a sudden it hit me, I am surrounded by lingerie. <laughs> it is everywhere. Good Lord, what is happening here? And you know what I did? In that moment, I ran for my life. I got, once I realized where I was, and I'm a pastor, and I'm the only one sitting there by myself, where's Olga? Time to go. I halt. What I'm simply trying to tell you is hell was not meant for you, and that chair is the symbol of hell. It sits there, but listen, I'm not supposed to be here. Let me get out while I still got time. Ooh, somebody, you need to hear me today. Hell is not your home. It is not your destination. It is not meant for you. Time to run. I didn't belong there, Def. Here's what I also realized about what Jesus taught us about hell. He showed us that, that eternity itself is fixed. It's a fixed place. What I mean, like, like, like fixed as in like he knows who goes and who, who doesn't. Yes, he knows, but you still get to decide. You still get the choice. I'm talking about a fixed place. I mean like this. If you go to hell, you will never have an opportunity to get to heaven. Never. Poke your neighbor and say, never. Hmm. Good news though. Conversely, if you get to heaven, You'll get a holy, glorified, transformed, remade, new body. And if you get to heaven, you will never have to worry about going to hell. I came to help somebody just for a moment because I don't know about you, but like me, I begin to wonder as a child, if I get to heaven, am I going to, I know me, I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to do something stupid and God's going to come and tap me on the shoulder and be like, you cross the line, buddy, on your way to darkness. I'm thankful to know that Jesus said in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone nobody can snatch you out of the hand of a living God I need somebody to put your hands together and thank God that in spite of what you've done in spite of where you've been even if I mess up in heaven nobody can snatch me out of the eternal grasp but this ain't a preach sermon sorry Jesus wants us to understand hell is real. And he wants us to grasp the realities of hell. If you don't believe that, then tell me why he gave us this story. And Rev Dev, I'll talk about this next week, but I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is a story. Because it's the only story or parable where he gives us a name. Everything else is obscure and general. He gives us a name. Luke 16, if you'll read it in your Bible, Luke 16. Verse 19, Jesus said, 
There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived every day in luxury. I'll talk about that more next week. At the gate, his gate, not just any gate, his gate, lay a poor man named Lazarus. We have a story with a name. Maybe this isn't a parable. Maybe this is reality. Lazarus was covered with sores, poor, laid at the gate. Maybe he was crippled, completely broken out all over his body with, with sores. Checks out. As Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open wounds. More about that next week. That's kind of gross. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside, check this out, now here's another name, Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. Hebrew, Sheol. Greek, Hades. There. Where? There. In hell. For those of you who thought it was a party, he was in torment. He saw Abraham in a far distance with Lazarus at his side. So there he was right next. Lazarus right next to Father Abraham, the father of faith himself. Jews believe he's the founder of their religion. Muslims believe he's the founder of their religion. We know he's the founder of faith because he was justified not by the law but by faith. And I'm, a, I literally, I'm adopted into the family of God because I'm the seed of Abraham. I came to God by faith. Here's what happens. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish. Where? In these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So here he is now being comforted, but you are in anguish. And besides, there's this great chasm separating us. Like, I don't know, this massive gulf. This, this division, this separation between where Abraham was in paradise and where the rich man was in hell. And he tells him, look, this, there's no way, no one can cross over from here to, to you and no one can cross from, from where you are to us. It just, we, there's no way to get there. It's a, some kind of bottomless pit. We just, we can't get through to each other. And the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least, here it is, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, look, they have Moses and the prophets to warn them. That's what they have. They basically, we're talking about Moses, the, 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 the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then they have all the, the prophets that are warning them about this place, warning them about surrendering and, and serving and living for the true and living God. They have these things. Your, your brothers can read what they wrote, but the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. Can you believe a dude arguing with Abraham in hell? No, but if someone is sent to them, check this out, from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham is smart, 
And he said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets in New Testament times, if you won't listen to your pastors and the word of God, if you won't listen, they won't be persuaded. How? Even if something miraculous happens and someone rises from the dead. Ooh. All right. Let's tackle this right now. When I talk about Jesus to people who aren't Christians, one of the first questions I almost always get is this. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Anyone ever heard that question before? Anyone ever thought that question before? I'll just throw up both my hands and a foot. You are this great God of love. Why would you send people to a place of eternal damnation? First, can I just tell you this, that the, the question is fun, fundamentally flawed. God doesn't send people to hell. God saves people from hell. That's what God does. And secondly, God doesn't send anyone to hell. People send themselves to hell. He lets you decide. I send myself to hell by rejecting the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ. Can I, can I just take a moment? And I'm, I'm, I know there are people all over the world who have not yet heard the gospel, but God is making sure, even when you don't think, well, what about all the people who've never heard the gospel? God is making sure through the internet and through TikTok and, and through social media, the gospel is getting out across the planet. And you're sitting here saying, why would God send people who've never heard to hell? How do you know they haven't heard yet? Unless you're omniscient and you know everything, God is making sure that the gospel is going forward while you're just sitting here listening to me preach. I just want to take a moment and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus already did all the hard work. All I have to do is believe. Can I get a witness in this place that I'm, I'm, you're grateful that there's nothing you have to do to obtain eternal life. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. But thirdly, I want you to know this. When people ask me, why would a loving God send people to hell? Hear me. Heaven? is still God's house. This is his crib. This is his hood. This is his dwelling place. And if it's his home, then he's the one who gets to set the rules. Come on, parents. I said, come on, parents. You don't pay any mortgage here. You don't help clean anything up hardly. No, you, you, don't, you don't put food on the table, clothes on anyone's back. This is my home, my rules. What I say goes. Can I get an amen? Heaven ain't your home. It's the Father's home. Oh, that means he gets to set the rules for his house. Let me illustrate it like this. What, Rev Dev. Our, our praise and worship leader, music minister, mailman by day, and brand new father to baby Sarah. Come on, somebody. What if one day Rev Dev got overwhelmed with everything he's got to do? He's laughing now, but drop a couple more laptops, my guy, like he did one Sunday, and have a piano break and, and, and they have some problems on the job and watch how Selah begins to, you know, she's so beautiful now, but watch what happens when she gets a little bit older. Come on, we get, Dylan Courtney can bear witness. We love her. We love her, Avery, but girl, you know, hey, now you're getting testy. 
What if at some point Devin starts to get a little overwhelmed? And the generational curse on the Becker's life is to womanize and to become an alcoholic. What if Dev starts hitting the bottle and, I don't know, find a little, little wacky weed? And, you know, he just starts, he's, he's, he's smoking and he's drinking and, he, and he's, and he's and let's, say, let's just say, Dev gets so wore out and frustrated, he's like, screw all of this. I'm going to get me a tent and live under the bridge downtown Aurora by the river. Hallelujah. And Dev, what if we love you so much that we won't leave you there? What if we say, I got it. You're, you're hurting. You're overwhelmed. You didn't know what to do, but we're going to find you, and we're going to reconcile you, and we're going to help restore. And what if, what if I say, Dev, come live in my house. Come on, I'll, I'll prepare it. I'll get, I'll get everything ready for you. Come live in my house. Come and eat my food. Pastor Olga's cooking is amazing. Come on and, and enjoy this stuff. And Rev Dev, I'm going to give you $5,000, some brand new clothes, and I'm going to get you a brand new car, and I'll help you find a job. I'll do all these things for you, Dev. The only thing I need you to do is stop sinning. My house, my rules. I'll bless you with all this. The only thing you have to stop doing is stop sinning. And what if Dev looks back at me and says, hell no. Am I being unloving or is he being unreasonable? Come on, somebody. You get mad at God because he's sending people to hell, but it's his house. And he's got one rule. Give up the sin and give me your life, and I'll give you all this and then some. If I wouldn't be unloving, you would be unreasonable. Because it is still God's house. It is still God's rules. And God loves you so much that he will send you to the place that you decide. That's how much a loving God loves you. He lets you choose and gives you over to your decision. That's a loving God right there. Can I hear from somebody in this place? You've got a loving God. And he lets you choose. All right, let me wrap this up because I need you to hear me. In this life, everyone might not get the same stuff. But in this life, everyone gets the same sequence. My voice is starting to go here, David. I haven't preached in three weeks, so help me somebody. Here, I'll say it again. We don't all get the same stuff. I would, I would just dare to, to suggest that maybe the majority of us feel a little bit more like Lazarus in life than we do the rich man. Can I get an amen? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what it is to live in luxury every day. I know what it is to be laying at the gate having dogs lick my sores. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I know what it is to, to be in lack, to be in the hunger. I, I know what it is to look longingly at something I don't have. I would, I would dare say the majority of us understand what it is to be like Lazarus. So we don't all get the same stuff. But Rev, we all get the same sequence. Every one of us, including Lazarus and the rich man, the same sequence. We all get life. We all get death. And then we all get the afterlife. I'll say it again. We all get life. We all get death. And we all get the afterlife. Not the same stuff, but the same sequence. Life, death, 
afterlife. We all get the same thing and they are all equally real. And in Luke 16, Jesus shows us something. At the moment we die, everything in our life begins to shift. I'll talk about this more next week, but I love the comparison and contrast of a rich man who had everything and a poor man who had nothing. The moment they died, everything began to shift because the man who had everything now had nothing. And the man who had nothing now is given everything. I dare say that when the rich man dies and gets a funeral, that's all he got. Because when Lazarus dies, Jesus said he gets a personal angelic escort into eternal life. Listen to me, family. I love what is so powerful about this story. Lazarus didn't win a consolation prize. Lazarus was the honored guest seated right next to Father Abraham himself. My question to you is, how many of you in this room feel unnoticed? How many of you day in and day out feel unwanted? How many of you feel like nobody cares, nobody sees me, or, or I'm just, I'm, I'm here, but I'm just existing. I need you to know, because the good news is, though you might feel unnoticed and unwanted here, nobody slips into heaven unnoticed and unwanted. People may not know your name at work, they may mispronounce your name, even though they've been a co-laborer for 10 years, and they still don't know how to say Jamin right. Guess what? What? You don't know my name. I got family members who've betrayed and abandoned me, and they want nothing to do with me. I, that happens in life, even in church sometimes. You feel ignored. You feel unworthy. You feel unseen. But I came to remind you, when you get to heaven, somebody's going to know your name. Abraham's going to know who you are. Paul's going to know who you are. David's going to know your name. Solomon's going to know your name. Elijah, Moses, they're going to know who you are are and even better than that the lord jesus christ whoo he's gonna be sitting there waiting for you i can i can just hear jesus saying about time you got here I've been waiting for you. I've been looking for you. I've been, I've been, I've been interceding for you because that's what he does. He literally is the intercessor between us and the Father. He, he literally at this moment is believing in you. And the moment you get there, I need you to know no matter how you were treated on this planet, he's going to treat you better. He's going to love you better. He's going to honor you better. He's going to give you dignity and value better than anything in this life. This is for all those people in this room who have been abused and been abandoned and been betrayed and been forgotten and been treated like trash in this life, but you still held on to Jesus. Everyone, you've done that. I've got this verse for you today. One day he's going to look at you and say, Matthew 25, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many. I feel like Lazarus. I ain't got much, but I'm being faithful over what I have. He is then going to be the one to put me in charge of Menti. And I love how this finishes. Enter into the joy of your master. Somebody just help me with our hands raised right now. One day I'm going to hear these words. I pray you don't hear the opposite. Where Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never hear it. I never knew you. This, honestly, as Christians, this is probably the only thing that should frighten us. To, 
go to church to hear the sermons, to serve, to give in the offerings, to, 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 to be on the stage, to hold the microphone, week in and week out for years and decades, and then to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Because when I needed something through someone else, you ignored me. You felt so either so prideful about yourself or so unworthy about yourself that you didn't even extend your hand to someone who was hungry or thirsty or naked or in prison. And he'll tell us, depart from me, I never knew you. Even when we try to make excuses, Rev, and say, but didn't I do these things? I, mean, I never personally, you knew about me and I knew about you, but I, I, we didn't know each other. crazy when you actually start to think about the the profound overwhelming probability that I could go to church but never actually come to Jesus I can sit in church but never actually sit at the right hand of Jesus forever go back to my initial question what in hell do you want what in hell do you need why play the, the church game and still live like hell the rest of the week why I propose this question if God gave me the option to let every one of our members either spend 30 seconds in heaven or 30 seconds in hell now here it is I'm gonna give you my answer seriously I would ask God to let all of us spend 30 seconds and just 30 seconds in hell. WTH, Pastor? What, what, what do you mean, bro? Why, why, why would you want me to spend 30 seconds in hell? Here's why. Because the majority of us, prayerfully all of us, are going to make it to heaven. We're, we're going to go there anyway for all eternity. But just 30 seconds in hell where we would see all of the torment and hear all of the anguish and feel all of the eternal separation from our creator. Maybe, just maybe, then we would come back to this planet, the most hardcore, sold out, soul winning, evangelistic Christians on the planet. Just 30 seconds. You know how I know? Because look at what Jesus said about the rich man. He's telling us there are people in hell right now that are burning in hell right now. They're more distressed for sinners that are headed there than Christians who sit here and just can't wait for the softball game. What in hell do we need? I'll tell you what we need. We need the same level of distress and the same determination to win the loss to Christ that people in hell have right now. They're begging God, send somebody to tell my brother. Send somebody to tell my mother. Send somebody to, to tell my child. Send somebody to tell the people I love about Jesus. God, if we could just get that from hell, just give me the same determination to win souls as people who are burning right now. Maybe, just maybe, we'd stop going through the motions and we'd start becoming ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't for everybody, but if you're feeling an urgency to become a witness for Jesus in these last days, would you stand your feet with me right now and throw your hands up real high? 
I know it's not for everyone, but if you feel now is my time, I'm determined to share this great gospel. I'm determined to pick up the commission. Throw up your hands real high. That's you. I'm determined. I'm not going to let this week go by without telling somebody I love about the love of God and the grace of God. Without being a, a light to the darkness. Keep your hands raised. Tiana, give me that last verse I've got there in Luke. I want you to see this. Because I'm going to pray for you. It's my prayer for you. Luke chapter 2. Jesus told them. He said the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. To send out workers into his harvest. There are people that are ready to come to Jesus. They, need, they just need somebody, a worker to come by and tell them and they'll be part of that harvest. Lord, I pray right now that every man and woman in this room under the sound of my voice would grasp the need to be a light to this dark world, to be the salt of the earth, to be the city on a hill, to take on this great commission and preach the gospel everywhere that we go. God, help us to see. Maybe, maybe don't send us to hell, but help us to see the reality of what hell is for those who, are who have already rejected you so that maybe, just maybe, we'll be determined to see someone who's not in hell yet be reconciled to God the Father. If they're still breathing, there's still hope. I said if they're still breathing, there's still hope. I know they hate your God right now. I know they mock you right now. I know they ridicule you and make fun of you. But listen to me. If they're still breathing, there's still hope. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop asking God. Open up their ears to hear. God, let this be the generation that is determined to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. The uttermost parts of the world. The harvest is ready, ladies and gentlemen. It's ready. Don't say four months and then the harvest. Jesus said in John 4, no, it's now. It's right now. Supernaturally, it's right now. Give me one second. I got to do two things. Hear me. Can I come off the stage? Make sure people, are we still, are we still streaming? Hear me. Number one, to every one of you who got an invitation, I'm not talking about being born in church, I'm talking about you got an invitation to come to know Jesus, Christ and Lord Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand. Someone invited me to Christ. Someone invited me, keep those hands raised for a moment. Keep those hands raised. Keep it raised. Don't, don't, don't be embarrassed. Because here's what I need you to know. The next time you feel embarrassed or fearful about sharing the gospel, just be thankful that someone wasn't too fearful or too embarrassed to point you to Jesus. Amen? All right, you put your hands down. Now I'm going to turn pastoral for just a moment, and I've had to do this prayerfully. Impact Church has an assignment from God, and that assignment, everyone look at me, is not just Sunday mornings. This is what we do as Christians. We come and we worship. We come and we fellowship. We come and we hear the word. But this isn't our assignment. You know what our assignment is? Our assignment was Wednesday night at Martin Luther King Jr. Park to go and pray. And I got to be careful I say this, but hear me as your pastor. 
I say this with a loving rebuke to every one of you that chose, not because you had something, but chose to miss our assignment out of convenience, out of neglect, out of apathy. That was our assignment as a church. I've learned from pastors not to beat people over the head and then expect them to respond properly. But I say this with all the conviction I know how. Too many of you are looking for power and positions and you forget it's all about people. And God called us to pray and guess what happened? We couldn't even meet where we wanted to because there was a party going on in that pavilion. People were there celebrating the life of a man who'd already been dead. A former gangbanger died. They were celebrating his life. Michael understood the assignments. Instead of just going and, and huddling and praying, he walked over to these people at a gang party and began to talk to them about Jesus and how can we pray for you. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm simply trying to say is do not get mad at the church for not doing enough when God calls us to do something and you sit at home and act like you've got something better to do other than fulfill the assignment. Well, I've got kids. Well, Michael and Jessica had all three of their little girls there. And they were he just had all their kids there. And all the Becker kids. Were, don't act like we've got excuses. We have an assignment from God. And I say it carefully because some of you right now, you've already, you've already shut me out. You don't know what I had to do. Or you don't know how my day was. Or you don't know what's going on. You're right, I don't. Because I'm too busy focused on the assignments that God has for us. Sorry that I can't hear your excuses. I can't see your excuses. So what am I saying? The next time God calls us as a church to an assignment, don't say, I just bought a field. I just bought an oxen. I just got married. Don't excuse yourself out of the invitation to do what he's called us to do. Because we knew, Sister Nancy, we knew we were supposed to be there long before Shakita Hartburn's passed. We knew it. We didn't know why. We just knew it. And there we were able to pray in that ward over that community and be the light in the darkness. Maybe you weren't there, but if you're thankful you're part of a church that fulfills its assignment, can you just say, thank you, Lord? Don't be mad at me. Just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, let me get the pastor face off. Let me get it off. Get it off. In these last days, I have to speak truth because I will stand before God and give an account. And you'll miss out on the greater blessings and the greater anointing that is on the assignment if you keep making excuses. Everyone good with that? Let me just, let me just, uh, I've seen this done, but let me just open up the mic real quick. Anyone got any objection to us fulfilling our assignment? Sundays is church. What we do in the community is the assignment. So if God calls us to pray on top of a parking garage, we go and pray on top of a parking garage. If God calls us into a neighborhood where there's a gang party, we go into the neighborhood where there's a gang party. We do whatever he has called us to. Thank you, Dev. If he calls me to make some noise, I'll make some noise. Whatever he leads us to do, we have to fulfill the instruction. Amen. And if again, you ever wonder, what is my purpose? What is my calling? Here it is. Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospels 
And as you preach this gospel, make disciples. Make disciples. And he tells us in his name, we will cast out demons. In his name, we will speak in other tongues. In, in his name, we will heal the sick and see them recover. In his name. Ladies and gentlemen, the power is in the assignment. It's in fulfilling the Great Commission. Not just coming to church. This is the feel-good place. Out there is let's get our hands dirty and do the work to advance the kingdom. Because too many people are on their way to hell and we need to depopulate that place. Can I get an amen? From every Christian in the room, can I get an amen? From the people who are mad at me right now, can I get an amen? Should I say amen or not? I don't know. Amen. Now lastly, as we close this service, I give it over to Pastor Olga. Can we pray for your loved ones before they get to hell? Can we pray for them right now? By name, can you just help me lift up them before the Lord? Every one of their names, help me lift them up before the Lord. Every father and every mother, every child, every aunt and uncle, every cousin, grandparents, every grandchild, every niece and nephew, every, every co-worker, every boss, every employee, every person I go to school with, every professor, every teacher, my neighbors, my, my mailman, Rev Dev, who I lift every person I know before the Lord that, that doesn't know Jesus. I love them. And I don't want to spend, I don't want to spend eternity without them. So Lord, pray this to me around, family. Lord, open up their ears to hear the truth. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Lord, let them hear your word. If they come across a, a YouTube video or they come across a podcast or, or they, they, they end up in church somewhere, God, please save my lost loved ones. Save them from eternal damnation by letting them hear the truth. God, and don't just let them hear. God, I pray that they will respond to the truth. I pray that they will, they will bow their knee to Jesus. I pray I'll spend eternity with them in heaven. In Jesus' name. So I'm not in trouble with the Lord all over this room. Let's make sure we're right with God before we leave this place. Amen. Before we get on the softball field and start acting like demons, help us, Jesus. Let's pray right now. Everyone repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love. You are a loving God and you're a just God. Hell was not prepared for me. Heaven is where I'm called. So today, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I repent of my iniquity. I repent of every transgression. I repent of every sinful thing I've ever said and ever done. I give my life to you. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior and save me from hell, but also be my Lord and lead me to eternal life. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. I believe you're preparing a place for me, and I will be with you forever. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. If you believe God doesn't send you to hell, he saves you for heaven, put your hands together and shout, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. 
Amen and amen.